0: Good evening, greet each of you in Jesus' name again this evening. It's a blessing to be together once again. It's a blessing to have my family here with us tonight. Um, We are going to have another children's meeting. If any of you children would like to do that, you can come to the front bench. Good evening. evening. How are you all this evening? I don't have any bag here this evening. Is that going to be a problem? You're going to be all right with it? But do you know what, I have something in my pocket. Does anybody want to guess what's in my pocket? Candy. Nope, (laughs) not candy this time, sorry. Something else. Anybody else want to guess before I show you? Yeah. Nope, not gum either. Anybody know what this is? A boat? Yeah, what do you do with boats? Yeah. Put them in water? Watch them float? You ever ever put them in your bathtub? I mean, that's about the right size. Tonight I'm going to tell you a story about a boat. But first, I'm going to read, read a story from the Bible about one time that Jesus was in a boat. See if you remember the stories. So it's in Mark chapter 4, starts in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So they were out. They were in a boat. And the waves kept getting higher and higher. It so says the waves were so high they were starting to splash into the boat, starting to fill the boat with water. That'd be a little bit scary. Cause you know what happens when a boat gets full of water? Bloop, 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 bloop. It sinks, right? You would drown, yeah. It was, and it says, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the boat. So Jesus was in the back part of the boat. Asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So they went back and they found Jesus sleeping. And they said, Master, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're all going to die? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea. Does anybody know what Jesus said to the sea? Yeah. Peace be still. And then what happened? Yeah. The storm stopped. The storm stopped. The wind stopped blowing. The waves got calm. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they were amazed that Jesus could just say, Peace be still. The wind stopped and the waves stopped. And then the boat was calm. I'm going to tell you a story about a boat. This boat right here. Everybody see the boat? I took a ride in that boat one day. I'm going to tell you about that ride. So when we lived in Haiti, I'm going to show you some maps. I don't know if you're used to looking at maps. But here is a map of Haiti. This is the border of Haiti. It comes down through here. Dominican Republic over here, so that's the border. And it comes out here in a big, long, they call it peninsula, and that through. And we live right here. We live right here on this map. That's where we live, right close to the water. And where I worked, we had men that lived out here on on this island. It's called Lagunab Island. And we had savings groups out there, and we had men that worked for us out here. So one day, me and some of my friends, we decided we were going to go out to Lagunab Island to visit the men that worked for us out there. So I printed out another map closer up so you can see the way we went in the water. So like I said, we lived right here. And can you see the black line on the picture? Yeah. That is the way we went. So where where the men lived that worked with us was on the other side of the island. So we had to leave here and go out and go past the island and come to where they to where they where they live. I'm going to show you this picture again. And I want to see if any of you see something about this sky <coughs> on this picture. Yeah. Dark, yeah, dark clouds, you know what dark clouds often mean? Rain, storm, yeah, so we, it was four of us men and the driver of the boat, we got into this little boat, so the, the man that lived on the island, he sent this boat over to get us, we didn't know what boat's coming until it came, this is the boat we're going over on the island too and it's it's about uh, what had I figured out it's about exactly 30 miles going on the water so we got on the boat and we start out across the water and I saw those dark clouds before we started I said I'm afraid we're going to get wet well about 15 minutes after we start the, the waves the water starts to get rough and then it started to rain and it rained and rained and rained and rained thankfully this little hole here we could stick our backpack and our extra clothing up into that little hole and kept them dry but we didn't have any tarp all we had was a little woven mat we tried to hold over ourselves so we were wet i had water running down my inside my pant legs and into my shoes so i was very very wet and it got windy so the waves kept getting higher and higher they were about, the waves were about that high, so the boat was rocking like that. So we were, we were going along, everything was going good. And after a little bit, it felt like a long time, the rain stopped. But the wind was still blowing and the waves were still really high. And the, the, way, the direction we had to go, we couldn't go directly into the waves. Gee, I should use the boat instead. So it's best when there's waves coming like this to drive it, the boat directly into it because then the boat goes up on the wave and down the other side. It goes up on the next wave, down the other side. But we need it to go over there. So we couldn't go straight into the wave or we'd never get to where we're going. We'd never get to the island. So what the man did is he would, he would turn the boat into the wave. As soon as he was on top of the wave, he'd turn and go this direction until he came off the back side of the wave. Then he'd turn and come into the next wave. That's what he was doing. So we were just kind of zigzagging around out there trying to get to the island. So that was all going pretty good. We were making progress. And I was looking out the front, and all of a sudden, it got quiet. We'd, so we, we came up on this wave, and he would turn like this. And he would always try to turn before we went off the back side of the wave again. And the one time he didn't turn fast enough and it was a really big wave and he was sitting up on top of it like this and the boat went off backwards and it went bang down off the top of the wave and everything got quiet. And I looked, turned around and looked and what I saw was the man that drives the boat, he's standing at the back of the boat hanging onto the rope and he's saying, vin him, vin him. In Creole he's saying, come help me, come help me. And I want you to look at this picture again. And if you look real close to this motor, what do you see tied around the motor? Anybody see anything? A rope? A rope. When I took this picture, I did not notice the rope tied around the motor. But when he was standing on the back of the boat yelling to come and help me, I was really glad he had that rope tied around his motor. Because what had happened... The motor wasn't bolted tight enough. And when the boat fell off the wave, the motor fell into the water. Bang, here we are, bobbing around the middle of the ocean. I'm trying to fish a motor out of the the water. So do you know what we did? So there was one man in the back of the boat, hanging onto the rope. And there were four men standing in the front of the boat. So we all go running to the back of the boat to help. So what do you think happens? The boat goes like this. And the water starts to bloop bloop across the back. So some, We all go running in front of the guys. Okay, so we can't all go to the back. So we sent two or three people back and left some in the front. And we worked and worked. It was a big, big motor to try to reach out over the back and try to lift it down. So we finally we got the motor back onto the boat. But do you know what happens if a motor goes into water while it's running? If you don't know, some of your dads will definitely know. Yeah, what happens? You can't work anymore, but it sucks water into the intake, into the piston. So I w- I'm a mechanic, so I asked a man if he has any. We finally got it up. We- took the air filter off, asked the man if he has any tools that we can take the carburetor off and get things dried out. He had one rusty screwdriver. So we were in good shape. So I have a problem. Ever since I was a little boy, when we would drive on roads that were twisty and turny, I would start to feel a little bit green. And my stomach would just start to feel like that. So as long as the boat was moving, driving into the waves, I felt fine. But once there was no motor pushing the boat up over the waves, then the boat went wherever the waves told it to go. And it it just kept bobbing and going like this and swaying around. And then I was back concentrating on the motor. And I wasn't feeling very good. And the fish that were in that water, they learned what I eat for breakfast that morning, because I wasn't feeling good at all. So I was sick. And the boat was bobbing around, and the motor didn't start. So we kept trying and trying, pulling the rope, trying to get it. We had, couldn't even pull it at first. And there we were, bobbing around. I should show you where we were. We were about right here. And nobody lives on this, or pretty much nobody lives. There's no towns on this side of the island, so there was nobody that could see us. I got my cell phone out and tried calling the people that lived here. I had, the, the man told me, you're not going to have any cell service. I'm going to try it anyway. I got a little bit of cell service, so I called. And he answered, he's like, hello, hello, I can't hear you. And then we got cut off. So I quick sent a text message, tell him what happened, and then I lost service completely. So I didn't know if he got it or not. So here we were bobbing around. We asked the man, "Like, what, what option do we have? And he said, well, in about two hours, there's a ferry that will come through that hopefully they'll see us. And I said, I hope so. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you what the rest of the story is yet. I'm not going to tell you what happened. But w- while I'm preaching, I'm going to finish the story. So tonight, if you want to know What happened to me out there bobbing around in the boat, really, really sick? You'll need to listen to what I'm saying when I'm preaching. Sound like a good idea? All right, you may go back to your parents. in case you are wondering, that was, that is a true story and one I, I will never forget. Um, so tonight I would like to focus on our devotional life or our personal relationship with Christ. What, what does it look like? How should it look? What, what are the reasons for it? should ask, why is a personal relationship with Christ important? And why is my personal devotional life important? And I'm kind of tying them together. I'm focusing on our devotional life, but I, I believe that our devotional life, my devotional life, has a direct correlation with my personal relationship with Christ. Just like any relationship, thinking of marriage for me and my wife, our personal relationship has a lot to do with our communication with each other. If we stop communicating, the relationship does not go well. The more we communicate, the more we spend time together, the more we show love for each other, the better that relationship comes. And it's the same way with our personal relationship with Christ. Our devotional life, our time in the word, our time in prayer is how we build that relationship with Christ. So I'm going to just deviate a little bit from the message first. And so last night after the service, we had an interesting discussion in the back here um, with with a couple of brothers. In the message last night, I had stressed, or I stressed that we were created to bring glory to God. We We as men, we as man were created to bring glory to God. And in this discussion, there were differing views on that, on that thought. And I appreciated the the open discussion that we had about it. I really appreciated that. Um, And some of the reason for this discussion, some of the reason it even came up, was because there's a teaching out there that is often taught along with with the thing about bringing glory to God, that not only are we created to bring glory to God, but there's some people that teach that we're not only created to bring glory to God, but God needs us to bring glory to him. As if somehow God is insufficient and needs us as created humans to fill that void. And I want to be very clear that I I do not believe this. I do not believe that God needs us as humans. I'm definitely not promoting this thought. So my reason for bringing up the discussion is not to build a case, not to prove a point, but rather, it's because the message I have for this evening is the very thing that was proposed as being the reason for our existence. So it was suggested that Instead of of our primary reason, or the reason we were created was to glorify God, instead, we were created to have a personal relationship with God. We were created to have a relationship with God. So this thought interested me, because as I said, that was what I was planning to preach about. I didn't actually have it for tonight, I had it for later in the week. But at, it just really piqued my interest to know what does the Bible say about this. The, the verse that we discussed in, is found in Acts chapter 17 and it I think it was as much a thought about that God needs us to glorify him as the fact about glorifying him. But Acts chapter 17, verse 25. And we were looking at it in the New King James Version last night, so that's, how, that's what I'm going to read it out of New King James. Acts 17, verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with man, men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life breath and all things so it makes it clear that he doesn't need anything from man he's not worshiped as though he needs anything but i would like to look at the rest of the account what what verses what verses are what, what is Paul talking about when he says this? Well, what's his reason for saying this? Not only for the sake of our discussion last night, but also because... So this morning, I decided, that was fresh in my mind, I said, I'm just going to study this and figure out what it says. I was not planning on preaching about it or anything. But as I studied it, I realized that these verses are a stepping stone into the topic of a personal relationship with Christ, of a devotional life. So I decided I'm going to share it this evening. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 22 to 31 from Acts 17. And again, this is from the New King James. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious... For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation and man to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what was Paul referring to when he, he made this statement about God as though he ne- needed anything? So Paul came to Athens. This was after he was basically chased out of Berea. He came to Athens. He was waiting there, I believe, for Timothy and I forget who else was traveling at that point. But anyway, he was there waiting. And as he was waiting, he noticed the the culture around him and how they worshiped so many different gods. And he, so he began to talk to people and then they were asking him questions. So this is, this is what he's telling them. He says, he saw the altar to the unknown God. And this is who I'm telling you about. The, the God that you don't know. God who made the world and everything in it. Because he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Because he is the creator of all things, he is not limited to a thing that was created. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gave all life and breath and all things. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. God is not worshiped or glorified or served by man because he needs it. That's not the reason that we worship or glorify him. Our lifeblood, our very breath, our continued existence comes from God. Breath was breathed into us from God. Every breath we take is a gift from God. If we receive everything from him, everything we have, everything we are, everything we need, then he can't be anything but self-sufficient. What need can God have of us when he is perfection itself? Any good thing I have or do comes directly from him. So How can he need something that is already part of who he is? This is basically what Paul is telling them. Verse 27 Because we know that as humans, we as humans are dependent on God for our very existence, it should cause us to seek Him. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might find Him. Then 28 and 29 In Him we live and move and have our being, we're His offspring. We come from God. We're created in the image of God. We received our breath from God. And because of this, we dare not think of God as something that is made, man-made. As something that comes from gold or silver or stone. Paul is saying we dare not even think of him as something like that. There's nothing that man can do. There's nothing that I can do. Nothing that man can make. Nothing that man can say that will make God better than what he is. Because God is perfect. Nothing will make God better. Nothing will make him more complete. Nothing that we can do will make him holier than what he is. Everything we are is from him, and he does not need us in order to be God. Verse 30 to 31, it says, In the past, God overlooked the ignorance of the Gentile. I believe he's referring to the, the Gentile idol worship. He, he, held, he held the Jews accountable when they worshiped. But it, those were, they were his chosen people, but he's saying he overlooked it in the, the ignorance in the past, the idol worship, and the misconception of God. But now, all men are called to repentance. All men will be judged in righteousness because of Jesus Christ. In, in verse 31, he says, He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead, referring to his son, Jesus Christ. In this context, it seems like Paul was referring directly to idol worship or any type of man-made form of worship. And he's saying, Verse 25, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all to all life, breath, and all things. And as I studied this, I believe Paul was saying that in order to worship God, God does not we do not need to make anything, we do not need to do anything, we don't need a temple, we don't need an idol, we don't need an altar to worship God. But at the same time, it's also true, the fact that was brought out last night, that God does not need anything from us. This is referring to worship. I believe specifically to idol worship. But at the same time, God does not need anything from us. No matter what sense we are looking at, God doesn't need it from us. when I realize my need for repentance, when any person realizes their need for repentance, the need for a personal relationship with Christ, and takes the steps to make that a reality, to repent of our sins, to ask Christ for, for forgiveness, to begin to live for Him, As soon as that becomes a reality, my life begins to glorify God. At that instant, I begin to do exactly what I was created to do, to bring glory to God. The closer I draw to Christ, the closer my personal relationship is to Christ, the greater glory that I bring to God. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that glorifying God is greater than a personal relationship with God. It, it's not that at all. Or vice versa, that a personal relationship is greater than glorifying God. I don't think that is what we're to look at. Instead, I'll venture to say this and I stand to be corrected, but I still believe that man was created to glorify God. But man's greatest need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God does not need us to glorify him. But he wants us to. God does not need us to have a personal relationship with him. But tonight, as we look into his word, we'll see that he desires it from us. He wants it from us. He's still going to be God. He's still going to be glorious, whether we give it to him or not. God is not dependent on us, but he wants it from us. That's his desire. That's his reason for creating us. So as we look at our devotional life, the importance of a personal relationship with Christ, why should I have a devotional time set apart? Why is it important to set apart a time for devotions. And I'd like to split this into to two categories for God and for me. Turn with me to John chapter 4. verse 20 to 24. John 4, verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So this is Jesus. He's at the, with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And he, she's saying, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She's referring to the Jews. The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, the Samaritans on this mountain. must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So why should I have a devotional time set apart? For God is to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I believe this is Jesus' teaching on what Paul was telling the people at Athens. Worship of the Father is not isolated to one place, to one man-made thing. Instead, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's in our hearts, it's in our spirit that we will worship him. And verse 23 is a key verse out of these verses that I would like to focus. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father... In spirit and in truth. Our time of devotion is a time to worship God the Father. What does worship mean? To bow down and adore, to come to Him, to be of service to Him. For worship, I think of a of adoration, like where, where a child sees. Something that's just really amazing. They just stand there with their mouth hanging open. They say, wow. That is worship. That is adoration. When we are awed at the power of God. When we are awed at his presence. When we are awed at his word. The father seeks such to worship him. But it's not because he needs it. It's because he desires it. Because he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants me to have a relationship with him. He's inviting us to that relationship. So if you would be invited to the White House by your favorite president, I'm not going to ask which that one is, we don't want to get into politics, but just using this as an example, if you would be invited to the White House by your favorite president, wouldn't you be willing to change your schedule to make that happen? We're invited to meet with God, with a holy God, the Lord of the universe, every day. Are we not foolish if we don't do it? Another reason to set a time apart for God is to honor and know the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 7 to 14. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Why do I spend time in devotions, is so that I can know Christ. So I can know Him better. So I can more fully understand what He has done for me. Verse 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. Time spent in the word of God gives me the strength to continue on. It helps us to move beyond the failures of the past. It helps us to move beyond the hard things of the past. It gives us strength to press toward the mark to continue on because we know what we're striving toward. We know what we're working for. 2 Peter 3:17 and 18. <clears throat> 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. When we spend time in the word, when we learn to know the word, It not only helps us grow in the knowledge of Christ, grow in grace in the knowledge of Christ, like it says here, but it also keeps us from being led away from Christ. Seeing that you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, steadfastness. Pursue, get to know Christ, learn to know who he is. The better we know him, the better we will also know when there's false teachings, when there's false doctrine. We are to honor and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Another point is to walk in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know. It's part of learning to know Christ. When we know Christ, when we know his word, we then need to walk in obedience to that and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another reason. For a devotional time set apart for God. Is so that we can bear fruit. John chapter 15 Just going to read verses 7 and 8. But if we look, we, it's a familiar chapter about the true vine, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Drop down to verse 7 If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Abide refers to stay, to be connected to be connected to the source. But what fruit is he referring to? What fruit are we to bear? Luke refers to a number of different things. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, gentleness, Sorry, temperance. Against such there is no law. These are the, some of the fruits we are to bear. Our actions. When we fulfill God's, Christ's commands, when we do what God is asking us to do, this is fruit. We are bearing fruit because we are doing. When we're connected to the vine, the vine is saying to do this. When we do it, we're bearing fruit. Another fruit is when others come to Christ. When through our witness, through our testimonies, through our life, it draws others to Christ. That is fruit. So just a summary of the the first point. Why should I have a devotional time set apart? And the, the point of, for God. These are things that God is asking of me. When I spend time in personal devotions, when I'm spending time in the Word, this is what I'm doing for God. This is what I'm learning how to do. I spend time in His Word so I know how to do these things. The first is to worship the Father in spirit and truth. I spend time in His Word to worship Him. I spend time in my devotions to worship Him and to learn how to worship Him more. second, to honor and know the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to bear fruit. So these things are for God. These are things we're asked to do for God. But then there's also, in a relationship it's always two ways. There's also things that we receive. When we, are, when we are in the word, when we are having our devotions, when we're, when we're spending time with God, we receive food. The word of God feeds me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. George Mueller, a quote from him, he said, the first thing I do after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon his precious word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God searching as it were into every verse to get a blessing out of it not for the sake of the public ministry of the word not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul yes we need to study God's Word to share with others, to preach, to testify, to know how to share God's word with others. But it's also important that we, we just simply absorb and spend time in God's word for our own benefit, for our own relationship, for our own personal relationship with Christ. It's also for us to experience the presence and the glory of the Lord. Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said to God, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I might just turn back to to the book of Exodus and look at some more of those verses. So this this took place after, after they were delivered out of Egypt, After they were given the Ten Commandments, after Moses had just spent, was it, 40 40 days and nights on the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments? And then in verse 18. I'm at the wrong chapter. Exodus 33, verse 18. I was at 18, verse 33. It wasn't holding out. So Exodus 33, verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me, show me thy glory. So after all these things, Moses is still asking that God would show him his glory. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will shew mercy on whom I will shew mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee, with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. I believe we are to keep seeking to experience the presence, to experience the glory of the Lord. There are times in our lives where we're amazed when we experience something that's just an awe inspiring time where we just sense God working, where we sense the the glory of the Lord. But we, we can't just stop there and say, We know now the glory of the Lord. We're done. No, we are to keep seeking, continue spending time in the Word, continue to learn to know Him better, continue to experience the glory of the Lord. We receive power. Third point, power with authority in the spirit. Power in the spirit. In a number of ways. When we're in danger, we receive power. Genesis 32, verse 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So here Jacob was returning to his home country and he had sent servants ahead to tell Esau that he's coming and they brought back the report that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. And understandably, Jacob was frightened because he knew Esau wanted to kill him from many years ago. And if he's coming with 400 men, that could only mean one thing, That night, Jacob wrestled all night with the angel. And he was given power, as this verse says For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I believe when we continue to wrestle, when we continue to struggle, when we continue to come before the Lord, I believe he will give us power. When we're in danger, if nothing else, the power of courage to face the danger. We receive power in difficulty. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So here David was at one of the lowest points in his life. Him and his men had been out fighting a battle somewhere, and they came back and they found that their wives and children had been taken captive. David was discouraged. He was distressed. And not only that... Some of his men were turning against him when they were threatening to kill him. What did he do? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That is what we're to do. When we are just in difficulties, when we are facing tough times, it's so easy to throw our hands in the air and say, I don't know what to do. When we encourage ourselves in the Lord, I believe he gives us power in his spirit, through his spirit, to face the difficulties. Power in the spirit and temptation. Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that ye don't enter into temptation. This is what Jesus said to Peter Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Peter didn't do that. Instead, he slept. He didn't watch. He didn't pray. And when he was tempted to deny Jesus Christ, he fell to that temptation. He learned a lesson from that and we can see in his later life that he learned to watch and he learned to pray and and through that, the Spirit helped him through the temptations power in the spirit and ministry. Mark 5, verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? I think we all know the story of the woman that had the issue of blood for many years. She came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, the hem of his coat, and she was healed. But Jesus sensed that power coming out of him. And when I use the term in ministry, I'm not referring to ordained people serving in the ministry as we know it, but I'm referring to each and every one of us as Christians. We have a ministry. We are in the ministry. Our ministry is to serve Christ. Our ministry is to show his love to those around us. So back to this verse. Knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. It might feel presumptuous to compare ourselves to Christ in this way. But when we spend time in God's word, when we Grow closer to Christ. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We're promised that His Spirit will fill us. And I believe that as we minister, the Spirit goes with us. And I don't know how you brothers feel, but sometimes after preaching, you just feel wiped out. I believe that as we minister the Spirit also goes out of us to those that we're ministering to. For this reason, we must continue to abide in the vine. We need to continue to stay connected to the source of that power, the source of that Spirit. And to stay connected is to abide in His Word. Stay close to the Father so that we can be filled up with the Spirit. So another point for spending time in devotions for me is that when we do this it gives direction, it shows us the path forward, it shows us where we're to walk. Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and and the regions of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go unto Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they they passing by, Messiah came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed with him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So here Paul was being directed by the Holy Spirit in a very clear way where they were to go to next, on on his missionary journey, on their missionary journey. And for him to hear that direction so clearly from the Holy Spirit, he had to be connected to the source of that Spirit. To hear direction from the Holy Spirit, we must be connected to the vine. We must be in communication with God. That personal relationship Like I mentioned earlier, in any relationship, the communication needs to happen. And I believe the same is true to receive direction from the Holy Spirit. There must be that connection. The last point for Personal devotions for me is this is the only path to heaven. That connection to the vine. If there's no connection there, if that's cut off, if you read that account in John about the vine, what does it say about the branches that are cut off? It says they're burned. The only way to heaven is by staying connected to the vine. So the summary of the second point, why should I have a devotional time set apart? What does it for me? First point is the food. I'm I am ex- nourished. The second point, I experience the presence and glory of the Lord. Third point, Power with authority in the spirit, and there's subpoints under power. Power in danger and difficulty and temptation and ministry. It gives direction. And lastly, this is the only path to heaven. Look at look at a few elements of our our time of devotion. What do we do in devotions? First, adoration. Marvel at who God is. We talked about that earlier. Listening to good, godly music is a way. Praising God with my mouth in word or in song. Verbally praising God. God. The Lord is amazing and deserves my adoration. We're to adore God. His word. The word is a critical part of our devotions. We need to spend time in the word. We can't have a fruitful devotional life without spending time in the word of God. That is the source of life. Spend much time in it every day. Prayer with fasting. God promises to answer if we cry out to him from the heart. Intercession and also listen. In any relationship, one person, in any good relationship, one person doesn't do all the talking. Figured out how to make that work, let me know. I haven't. um, But we need to listen. Thanksgiving. Thank God for what He's done, for what He's doing, and for what He will do. And at times, confession for where we have failed. It's all part of prayer. Second point is meditation and reflection. Not only spending time in the word, but also thinking about it, meditating on it, reflecting on it, rolling it around in your head. Bible memory is an excellent way to meditate, and this is an area that I do very, very poorly on, is committing, God's word to memory, but is an excellent way to help us to meditate. Spend time thinking about the word and about God. Some qualities that are needed. Enjoyment. This is one that I struggled with was There was a time when I did not enjoy having my devotions. It's more a thing, get it done as quickly as possible and move on. But I believe to have a meaningful devotional life, we need to learn to enjoy that time. It takes discipline. We need to choose a time, choose a place, make it happen. We need to approach it with the mindset of already being accepted. If I'm born again, and I come to spend time with God, I can know that because my sins are washed away, I am already accepted by God. And I can come into that relationship with that mindset needed qualities is forgiveness in relationships personal relationships there needs to be forgiveness did not write the scripture down where it talks about if you come to the altar go and forgive your brother and then come back forgiveness i believe if we're harboring grudges in our personal life we're holding something against a brother or a sister it's going to affect our personal relationship with Christ. It's going to affect our personal devotional life. When we prioritize our devotional life, when we learn to enjoy our devotional life, I believe that our personal relationship with Christ will flourish. When we're connected to the vine, we will be fruitful. The, for any farmers or gardeners know that if you have a healthy plant, if the plant itself is healthy there's no reason that the branches on it will not produce fruit. And we know that the vine that we're connected to it's, it's a healthy vine. It's a perfect vine. So if we're connected to it we will bear fruit. It's not about who we are or how good of a Of a branch I am, but it's about the source of what I'm connected to. That is what gives the power to bear fruit. When we're close to Christ and his word, when we have a deep personal relationship, remember this guy? We're not going to be going like this, feeding the fish. You children want to hear the rest of the story? Yeah. Alright. So about an hour after the motor fell out the side of the end of the back of the boat, we we about a three quarter hour to it, we finally got it to where we could crank the motor over, got all the water worked out, taken as much off as we could with a screwdriver, had it turning over, but it it just would not would not start. The guy kept wanting to hook his gas up and do it. I was like, no, we gotta get it dried out before we put more gas in there. So we kept trying and trying and trying. Finally, an hour into it, we hooked the gas up again, pulled the rope a few times. Finally, one time he pulled it, went boom. Everybody cheered. Hallelujah! Because we had been praying, because it was actually kind of scary out there. We could see. Dim land ahead, we could see dim land behind, and I was starting to calculate how much water we had in the boat, how much food we had in the boat, you know what happens when your imagination gets out of control. But finally, just that little put from the motor gave us hope. So we kept trying. Finally, ten minutes after that first little put, the motor started. It ran pretty rough for a while, and then smoothed out, and by that time, the waves had calmed down, and we headed for Lagunov. Half an hour later, we met the director from our program in Laganov coming out in another boat to find us. They were zigzagging through the water coming out to try to find us because he had got my text message but couldn't call us back. And anyway, so we made it safely to the island. And just using that as an example, the boat. If we allow Christ to guide us, if we consider our life as a boat, if we have Christ as the motor, Christ as the pilot, we can cut through those waves. We don't need to worry about the motor falling off the back. But when we disconnect from the vine, when we Stop having that relationship with Christ. In a sense, that's like us loosening the screws and flipping that motor off the back. Because when we don't have Christ guiding us, when we don't have his word showing us what to do, we're like that little motorboat out in the waves. And we're going to go wherever those waves want us to go. We can do absolutely nothing about it. We didn't even have oars on the boat. We had a 10-foot stick and a motor that was wet. It didn't do much good. Ephesians 4, verse 13 and 14. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So how do we avoid being tossed about with the wind and waves like I was, In the boat, says the verse prior, says till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, how do we keep from swaying around, bobbing around in the waves by having a close personal relationship with Him? our personal devotional time, abiding in the vine, spending time with Christ, learning to know him better. In a marriage relationship, the more time a husband and wife spend together, the better their relationship is. The relationship of Christ and his church is many times referred to as a marriage relationship. I guess that's why I keep referring back to that because there are so many similarities. But the more time that we spend in God's word, the more time, the better our, our relationship will be with Christ. Let's just go ahead and sing the theme song for a closing. I forgot to ask that for that earlier, Brother Dallas, if you could lead us in that.